top of the inning to you. Welcome to the Irish Baseball Podcast, brought to you by the Irish American Baseball Society. If you love baseball, and if you love Ireland, stay tuned for a discussion of all things Irish baseball. Hello and welcome to episode 20 of the Irish Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Becker. On today's show, John Fitzgerald will bring us some Irish American baseball history. John is the founder of both the Baseball United Foundation and the Irish American Baseball Society. To become a member of the IABS, visit irishbaseball.org and head to baseballunitedfoundation.org to donate to that group's efforts to bring baseball to schools in Northern Ireland. Also on irishbaseball.org, you can watch the show The Crack in the Bat on Irish Baseball TV. That show brings you video interviews with many people throughout the game. In a few minutes, I will go a little more in-depth into an audio clip from Dodgers and Padres legend Steve Garvey, who was recently a guest on the show. This episode of the Irish Baseball Podcast is going live on October 11th of 2021, so I can let you know that tomorrow, Orioles great Jim Palmer will be a guest on the show at 11.30 a.m. Eastern. If you don't catch that show live, you will be able to give it a view a few hours later. If there's one thing we do know for sure, however, Jim's hair will be on point. We'll get things started with my colleague Jim Ward, who is once again talking with Red Sox prospect Ryan Fitzgerald. Since Jim last had Ryan on the show, some big things have happened in the young man's career. Take it away, Jim. And we'd like to welcome back to the Irish Baseball Podcast, one of the newest members of the Irish American Baseball Society, and he's just completed a fantastic season at Double A Portland for the Portland Sea Dogs and the Double A affiliate of the Boston Red Sox, and had a stint of about 30 days or so at the Triple A Worcester with the Blue Sox. Uh, one step closer to his dream of making it to the major leagues and the Fenway Park. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Since the last time you were on, uh, have you been able to get any feedback uh, from your last appearance with us, and uh, and since uh, wearing your Irish American Baseball Society shirt around? Yeah, no, I had a couple of my friends listen to it, and uh, my dad, he's uh, obviously you know we're Irish, so he uh, he listened to it, and he liked it a lot too. So uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been cool. It's been a heck of a year for you guys. Uh, four fellows from the organization, I believe, two of the Sea Dogs made the Olympics. What was it like talking to those guys about that experience? Uh, coming back from uh, Tokyo. Yeah, it was uh, it was cool talking to them. I got to see uh, both the silver and the bronze medal. Um, they had a good time out there. Uh, it was actually kind of funny. Our first baseman hit a home run off, off of one of our pitchers that was out there too. So that was kind of interesting. But uh, unfortunately, obviously, USA didn't bring home the gold. Great experience for them. And, uh, you know, it's something that, that they'll carry the rest of their lives. Was that an option for you? Did you get an option to try out for uh, Team USA? I got like a questionnaire to fill out. Um, I filled it out and like did the whole application thing, but uh, I never really like talked to any of the coaches in terms of like going to a tryout or any of that or, or possibly being on the team. Our guest is Ryan Fitzgerald of the AA Portland Sea Dogs and the Red Sox organization. And Ryan, uh, recently you were promoted to Worcester, the Woo Sox, the Red Sox AAA franchise in Worcester, Mass., a very historic place, played at Polar Park. Polar Park was very kind to you, to say the least, uh, in their time up there at AAA. Yeah, no, Polar Park was phenomenal. Um, obviously, it's brand new. They, uh, they pack the stadium every night. They do a really great job up there. Yeah, I mean, playing with the players up there and uh, being around some guys that had have some showtime and guys that are about to make it to the show, 
Uh, it was really cool. Um, definitely a different experience for me. Uh, in regards to that, I've never really been on a team that's uh, that's been that old. Uh, I think the closest it's been for me would be like indie ball, um, where where I wasn't the oldest. But uh, yeah, it was cool to kind of be around of uh, a uh, more veteran team. Well, you put up some big numbers uh, up there, uh, numbers that have been worthy enough maybe any other season to stay up there, but because of the logjam of players coming off COVID and stuff, you had to get moved back to, to Portland. But going up there and seeing that type of pitching, what was the biggest difference in pitching or maybe in the batter's eye? Because you hit the ball pretty well, so you obviously saw the pitchers are really well. Yeah, um, I really didn't notice too much of a difference with the pitchers. Actually, in a way, I think the difference was was more beneficial for me because pitchers don't really miss as far with their pitches. They're a lot closer to the zone, and I like to swing. I'm, I'm okay with hitting those balls that are on, on the edges. Um, and if, I think if you look at some of the, even the home runs I hit, it's not all of them were, you know, middle pitches. A lot of them were more like corners that are on the outside, which kind of played more into my, my game. Um, I did face a couple guys that was noticeable difference. Uh, I faced John Axford. Um, 98 with, you know, high spin rate, top of the zone. So other than that, I didn't really notice a big difference in the pitching other than they threw more strikes, which um, was more beneficial for me. That experience, you got to talk to some of the guys up there and pick their brains a little bit. What, what was it like with the coaching staff and working with them on a daily basis uh, and how they treated you uh, uh, up there and working with you and trying to get your game to the next level? I mean, a lot of it's on you. Um, the coaches are there to help you if you want it. Um, you know, if you, if you don't want it, then that's fine. It's um, it's really pretty much all on you. Whether whether you want to uh, you want to work that day, or if it's a day that you're you're not feeling like working, then then that's fine. Um, you know, like I said, it's it's a veteran team, so a lot of guys know what they need to do to get ready for the game, and then and coaches don't really want to interfere with that, um, especially at, at that age and that level. But it's, it's cool because they're they're always there. If, if you need them, they're they're there to help. What is the biggest difference playing at Hadlock Field and then playing up at Polar Park? I mean, obviously, Polar is a brand-new stadium. It hasn't even worked the cobwebs out of it yet. And Hadlock has been around for a while now and both unique in their own aspects. Obviously, Polar it definitely has a modern feel to it. Um, Hadlock has a lot more history. Um, obviously, the Green Monster out in out left field, um, you know, makes it kind of look like like Fenway. One of the biggest difference I noticed was the ball, um, the double A ball versus the triple A ball, because the triple A they're using the big league ball and um, hitting it, throwing it, like it's it's completely different. You can you can miss hit balls and still hit home runs. You can, you know, throw a ball that you think is going to go in the dirt and it'll it'll stay true and hold and stay up in the air. So, ball is definitely a huge difference. Uh, the season overall, uh, are you? Pretty pleased with the way things went for you uh, from start to finish, where you finished up, uh, and you got a clear view of what you need to work on now for next season. I achieved everything I, I set out to do this season. Um, I wanted to have a 200 ISO, and um, you know, my, I had a goal of hitting you know 40% of my balls in play over 95 miles an hour. I, I got close to that around 30%, and then I had more extra base hits than I had singles. So that was another um, big big goal for me uh, that I reached. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm. Pretty much going, going along with the same process that I had last offseason and just continue with that. Where would you say the you need to work the most on? Is it on defense or is it on offense or is it an equal share of both? I don't think it's that general. I think it's a little more specific, um, specifically hunting pitches that I know I can hit home runs on um, and laying off pitches that I just, you know, happen to put in play, honing in on the spots where I know I can do damage uh, at plate and not getting myself out, letting my power play 
um, in the spots I know that I can I can crush because a lot of guys are gonna you know they start figuring that out especially as you, as you get closer to the show and they start having reports on you and and they know where to throw you so really get more consistent with swinging where I know I can hit a home run. It's an everyday chess game, isn't it? Where you got to be one step ahead of the other guy, right? Absolutely. Talk a little bit about your middle infielder and chemistry is very important with the middle infield, especially the shortstop and second baseman, because there's a lot of coverages and a lot of uh, different things that go on and shifts and sort of thing like that. Most of them dealing with the first and third baseman, which they worry about coming in, uh, maybe playing shallow, playing deep, maybe covering for you at short if the shift is on. How important, or maybe you can explain the rapport between you and your second baseman and how important that chemistry is and how you develop that chemistry and the little things that players work on, maybe for our younger viewers, that something that they can learn uh, to become better middle infielders. In pro ball, you're playing with a different guy almost every day, I and mean, there's always somebody different in different positions. So you, you kind of have to have chemistry with everybody because um, you never really know who you're going to be playing with up the middle. Um, but yeah, knowing, knowing where that guy is playing, uh, before the ball is hit, especially with like the shifts and everything that are going on today, um, and having priorities on who's got the slow roller on, on the inside and, you know, if the ball's deep, who's going to go behind and who's going to go in front, um, kind of similar to like outfielders, you know, who's going to have priority on, on diving in front and who's going to be backing up just little, little things like that, uh, turning double plays, you know, do they want the ball on their left side? Do they want the ball on their right side? Do they come across the bag? Do they stay behind the bag? Obviously, you know, there's going to be plays where it's like, I just got to get the ball to you and you're going to have to figure out where to <laughs> catch it somehow and get it over first. But uh, just kind of knowing like the tendencies of the guy and, and what they like and where their where their strengths are. A lot has been made of runners when they get to second base. They try to peel in, grab a sign or two from the catcher. Middle infielders have a very close rapport with the catchers as well. Uh, maybe you can talk about that and how the chemistry between the catchers and the middle infielders work as far as, you know, knowing the signs and, you know, what what might be going through the pitcher's mind or where the catcher is thinking about. I always had to go in and ask what sequence we were on because obviously the catchers have catchers and pitchers have a bunch of different sequences to try and hide the signs from the guy in second. So, you know, if they change them to, you know, one, two or three, they got, you know, different sets for it. I got to know what sign they're on. And then, you know, catcher always has like a, a back pick sign. So you always got to be watching him to see if he flashes that so you can flash it back to him so they're not throwing the ball out in the center field. And obviously pickoff plays, you got, you know, your standard just daylight play, you flash your glove and the pitcher will pick off. Or um, if it's a set play between the the catcher, the pitcher and the infielder, um, like a timing play where the catcher will drop his glove and, and the pitcher will turn and fire. Just a little stuff like that. Kind of know, like if you got like a right-handed submarine thrower and a righty hitting, you're probably going to want to play in the hole. That's most likely a lot of ground balls in the hole. Um, and then, obviously, if there's a lefty, right-handed submarine guy, you're going to probably want to play up the middle a little more. Um, just little things like that, kind of knowing how their balls work um, and where where they're going to go. When you're when you're on second and you're you get to second quite a bit, you hit a lot of doubles and everything. Um, do you find yourself trying to sneak in and see if you can peek a sign here or peek a sign there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I look every time I'm there. Um, pretty much every pitch. A lot of times, pitchers you can see the the grip on their hand and their in their gloves. So you know what pitch is coming if you could steal third. Because, you know, they're not going to turn and fire a change up back to second if they got a circle change grip. You know, they might step off, but, uh, you know, you could probably get a bigger lead or try to jump them a little bit. Always looking in, it's, you know, there's kind of you look at for the, the, there's like three sequences I check for right away, which, you know, first sign, uh, outs plus one, strikes plus one, 
um, and then kind of go from there. You know, maybe they're chasing the wiggle or chase the two. Like, it depends. But usually it's one of the first three I mentioned. Overall, looking back at the year from start to finish, uh, uh, what has been some of the highlights for you uh, from this season that you're going to take away and uh, cherish uh, for the years to come? This year, was, I, I lost a lot of a lot of good friends that either retired or, or were released or traded. So um, just playing with them, I mean, that was that was the biggest thing. One of my one of my buddies, uh, Tanner Nishioka, uh, I've been in the organization with him since 2018. We've always played up the middle together. He's played a lot of third base, and uh, we've lived together in Salem and and Greenville, and and then Portland. Always rooming together on the road and. Yeah, he, uh, he retired this year, and he actually told me before the game. He goes, uh, he's like, "Hey, like, I think, I think today's the day." Because he he told me he's like, "If I hit a home run, I'm gonna retire." And he he wasn't playing much. He was playing, you know, like once twice a week, and he was playing on a Sunday game, and he hit a home run. And it was the farthest home run that was hit at Hadlock Field. It was uh, 480 feet to to center field, and we thought he was gonna retire right then and there. And he goes, he goes, "No, I got one more." So he went up to bat again, and he hit another home run, and then he retired after the game. So it was that was probably one moments I've been a part of. And I'm glad you brought up home runs because we didn't get a chance to talk about this the last time you were on, but one of the great memories in your career, and I was looking back and I actually saw the video of it, and you were doing some huffing and puffing, but the inside the park home run uh, at Vanderbilt, that had to be one of the special moments so far for you. It was uh, Villanova. We were playing at uh, TD Ameritrade against Villanova, and uh, yeah, that was, I think it was, a, I was a sophomore that year, but yeah, that's, uh, that was my, I think it was my first, first career college home run is it more thrilling to hit the inside the park or hit the bomb over the wall i mean i'd rather hit over the wall you don't have to run as hard <laughs> that was jim ward with red sox prospect ryan fitzgerald when the calendar changes to 2022 i know a lot of us in the irish american baseball society will be following his progress very very closely this is the irish baseball podcast and i'm your host rick becker Right now, I'm going to bring you an incredible audio clip from the show The Crack in the Bat on Irish Baseball TV. You can catch the full conversation at irishbaseball.org. Here, Dodgers legend Steve Garvey tells a story from his youth in the Tampa Bay area of Florida, where he got to meet some Dodger legends of a previous generation. The story really starts to get traction in 1956. Dad's a, a Greyhound bus driver comes home in late March of 56. This was after the Dodgers had finally beat the Yankees in the World Series, uh, 55. And we sit down, look, and he looks at me, he said, want to skip school tomorrow? I said, yeah, wow, where are we going? He said, well, I got a charter to pick up the Brooklyn Dodgers from the Tampa airport and take them to St. Pete to play the Yankees in the exhibition game. And I think it might be a fun day for, for you and I. Now, Dad was a diehard Brooklyn fan. Mom was a Yankee fan. She gloated a lot, but Dad finally had every reason to uh, tell her I told you so and uh, tell her that it wasn't wait till next year. <laughs> next year it come. So the next day uh, we take the bus, we drive to the tarmac of Tampa International Airport at eight o'clock in the morning and we're standing in front of the bus and uh, I had gotten out my top baseball cards. I have uh, eight Dodgers and uh, I said, is it okay, dad? You know, if I stand here, he says, yeah, he said, take a look at your cards and when these players come by and see if you recognize them. Well, about 8.20, K, the K O'Malley one landed, which was a DC-7 prop jet. The Dodgers had their own plane, only team in sports. And it taxied up, and there were no concourses. They pushed the ramp up to the plane. The door opened, and off came Walter Alston, and Pee Reese, and Duke Snyder, and Hodges, and Ferrillo, and Campanella, and, of course, uh, Jackie Robinson. So they all filed off, and they 
came by me as they went onto the bus and I'd look at dad and point to one of my cards. And finally, the last two guys were strolling along and it was Campanella and Jackson. And uh, all of a sudden they stopped. I'm going, uh-oh. And uh, Jackie Robinson looks at me and, and looks at my dad. Dad's got this gray, gray on uniform with name tag. He says, uh, Joe, does your son play baseball? My dad said, yeah, we're, we just started the second little league in Tampa and he's going to start playing next Saturday. This was Tuesday. And uh, he looks at me and he says, well, kid, if you practice hard and, and work hard, maybe you'll be a Dodger someday. And I, yes, sir. And I looked at my card. And it was the Jackie Robinson. This story really resonated with me when I was watching that episode of The Crack in the Bat on Irish Baseball TV. I think all of us who love this game can remember standing around waiting to get baseballs or cards signed by some of our idols. We might even have gotten those same types of compliments about working hard and ending up in the major leagues. Little did Jackie Robinson know on that day that he was talking to a kid who would grow up to be a 10-time All-Star, National League Most Valuable Player, and would win a World Series for the Dodgers in 1981. These are the connections that make this the greatest game in the world. You can trace that direct line from the men who were stars when we were young to the previous generation of icons and all the way back to Ruth and beyond. You can watch that and every episode of The Crack in the Bat on Irish Baseball TV at irishbaseball.org. Right now, John Fitzgerald will wrap up today's episode with some Irish-American baseball history. Thanks, Rick. Dan Brothers was born in 1858 in Sylvan Lake, New York. His parents were Irish immigrants Michael and Annie Bruders. During their early years in America, the Bruders family changed their name several times, eventually settling on the name Brothers, spelled B-R-O-U-T-H-E-R-S. Brothers began his National League career with the Troy Trojans in 1879. The six-foot-2, 207-pound slugger quickly earned the nickname Big Dan because of his size and skill at the plate. Brothers won the batting title five times and led the league in hits three times. He also led the league twice in home runs, RBIs, and runs. Big Dan ranks fourth among 19th century players with 107 home runs. He also led the National League in slugging percentage eight times, and he led the league in on-base percentage five times. His former teammate John McGraw called Big Dan one of the most powerful batters of all time. McGraw added, Big Dan in his prime against modern pitching and the modern lively ball would have hit as many home runs as anybody. After he retired from Major League Baseball, Brothers continued playing baseball at the minor league level, hitting 415 for the Toronto Maple Leafs of the Eastern League in 1898 at the age of 40. Big Dan also hit 376 at the age of 46 for a team from Poughkeepsie, New York in the Hudson Valley League. After finally hanging up his minor league spikes, Big Dan began working for the New York Giants where he stayed for two decades. Dan Brothers was elected to the National Baseball Hall of Fame in 1945. He's buried in the small town of Wappingers Falls, New York, where a statue of the baseball legend stands proudly in Veterans Park. To learn more about Irish baseball legends like Big Dan Brothers, visit the Irish American Baseball Society at irishbaseball.org. Thank you for joining us for episode 20 of the Irish Baseball Podcast from my colleague Jim Ward, Red Sox prospect Ryan Fitzgerald, Dodgers and Padres legend Steve Garvey, and founder of the Baseball United Foundation and Irish American Baseball Society, John Fitzgerald. I'm Rick Becker, wishing you a great week. We will talk to you again in two weeks on episode 21 of the Irish Baseball Podcast. 
Thanks for listening to the Irish Baseball Podcast. The Irish Baseball Podcast is a production of the Irish American Baseball Society. Visit us online at irishbaseball.org and connect with us on social media. And remember, there's no place like home.